0: Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. Podcast. This week's episode features David Luff. I don't listen to a lot of contemporary Christian music. The other day I was out walking and this this uh, song came Came to me and it's kind of the way I think we feel in these meetings and the things that the Lord, but when we, when we stand in the presence of the Lord, we are so aware of our own frailty. And sometimes you hesitate even to speak. And this, uh, This chorus of this modern Christian song came, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or will to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Yes. That's the way I feel this morning, and I think most of us do feel that way. The way I can kind of describe how I feel is, is that you you can you can prepare so much and still be totally unprepared. <laughs> And that's kind of the way, that's kind of the way I feel. But the Lord is, is leading us if we will follow. But that requires a waiting on God. That requires being patient and waiting for Him to move. Waiting for Him to indicate the ministry that He wants. At the particular time that he wants. And so we're, we're doing our best to learn how to do that. We are novices at it. We are, we are much more comfortable with preparation and planning and setting things in order. And Brother Andy mentioned it last night with the program and so on. But we're trying to learn how not to do that. And it's, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, that when God is leading, God has to be able to have His authority in the church. Amen. <laughs> and I guess the thing that God has put on my heart to share a little bit about is God's plan, His plan has always been that the authority that He has always had in the heavenlies, He wants to have have in the earth. Amen. And in the beginning, you know, in the early part of the the Old Testament, God was referred to. His title was the king or the Lord or the God of the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. But there came a, and and for a time, you know, he 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 put into uh he put into into operation a plan To have his kingdom in the earth. And how was, how, what, what was his plan for doing that? Who was, who was going to be that body of people in the earth where he would be the king? Who was that? Israel! That's exactly right. He called Abraham a single man and out of his calling of Abraham he brought forth the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel, he he even said this in, in in the covenant. He said that through you, through this nation, what would happen to the rest of the world? Be blessed. All the nations of the world would be blessed through Israel. God called the na and 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 he in the calling of the nation of Israel. What were they to be? A nation of what? Priests. Kings and priests, and through them the oh, the rest of the world which would be blessed, the nations of the world. And then when we see, we see within Israel, what happened uh, at the time Moses was on the mountain receiving the laws? What happened down at the base of the mountain? They began to worship. The golden calf. And so there was a failure there. The failure of, of, of God's authority was, was not submitted to. And so what did he do at that point? Who did he call out of the nation of Israel to be his priests? Aaron and the Levites the tribe of the levites so out of the whole nation of israel he calls out the levites now to be the priests and so we see this pattern beginning to develop in god's way of doing things it it wasn't it wasn't a so much it wasn't a failure on God's part of planning, but I am confident it was His plan to demonstrate His overall plan of how He would restore the creation unto Himself. And that principle is that God will always use the few to reach the many. And this is borne out. We see this example in 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 a number of different ways. We see it we see it in uh, in Gideon's army. You know, it starts off with uh, thirty two thousand, and God keeps paring it down until there are only three hundred. What was what was wrong with the other thirty two thousand minus three hundred? What was wrong with them? Nothing. There was nothing wrong with them. <laughs> uh, he he went through a process of pa- of paring them down, but he was showing that that he would always work through a few in order to reach the many. Uh, Brother Brian talked uh, mentioned to us last night one of the one of the most vivid examples. Of God using the few in order to bless the many, was the 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 priests who went into the Jordan River, holding the ark, while the entire nation of Israel went across the Jordan River on dry land. That was a that was, if you think about that, how long those those priests had to stand in that river. Of course, when they stepped into it, it was at what? It was at flood stage. So it was no small thing to step into the river. Now, as soon as they exercised their faith to step into the river, it stopped and it backed up, however long back it was, and it stopped. But those brethren had to stand in the base of that river until, what, four million people crossed the Jordan River. So when God calls the few to reach the many, we hear about ruling and reigning with Christ, and I think that's true. I, I have every reason to believe that's true. But the way, the way we ha- need to be thinking about this is that God is is preparing. R- people to rule and reign as servant kings. Not as not as rulers like we think of it. But these priests are an example of that. This is the the time of sacrifice is not just today. That sacrifice is going to go on into the age to come. Because can you imagine what it will be like in order for God to establish His kingdom in the earth, it 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 is going to take over a process of 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 a of a thousand years. Yep. Yep. And so, even though Satan is bound and, and is not influencing, you still have this entire world who's developed all of the bad habits that they have developed, and they must learn. They must learn what we must learn now. This is, this is the time that, that, this is our training period. But I fully believe that God is, is calling out a body of people who He can use to help reconcile all the creation unto Himself. When God was called the King, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, that came to an end at the time of King Cyrus. After Israel went into captivity into Babylon, scattered around, God did not have a kingdom on the earth at that point. The kingdom of God is where God's authority operates. Just like it is in heaven. It's always operated by, it's always been perfect in the heavens. With Israel, he had a kingdom on the earth, imperfect as it was, but he had that. But once they were scattered, that was over. And so King Cyrus made this statement. And this is from Ezra chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord of heaven has given to me. God did that. God did that. And He has commanded me to build Him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord of heaven has given to me. And so no longer was God called the king of the heavens and the earth. And so there was this period of time. And then who comes on the scene as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew? You remember who the first, who was the forerunner of Christ? John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist say? Repent. Repent for what? Ah, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God wasn't through with His plan to establish His kingdom in the earth. It went through a period where He didn't have it, but when John the Baptist came on the scene, He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And He baptized. And what was the baptism of John? The baptism of John was repentance. Repentance. It's not the baptism into Jesus. That was a different baptism. But this baptism was a baptism into repentance. And what is repentance? The first thing that has to be done in turning is to have that change of mind. It has to be a self-recognition that I should die. I deserve to die. And that's what John's baptism was. And then Jesus came on the scene following John the Baptist and what did he say? He said the same thing. He said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if something is at hand, where is it? It's close. It's close. And then Jesus began his ministry as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. He had said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he said, 5th chapter of Matthew, and in the 17th verse, it says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is is the totality of all of God's commands and Christ's teachings. It's It's kind of a way of thinking about it it's just all in one. And Jesus, what did He say about full, what fulfills all the law and the prophets? <laughs> Love your neighbors yourself. <laughs> okay. Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What does it mean to fulfill? Complete. Fill up. Fill up. Complete. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Jesus came not only... He came to do... In this passage of Scripture, He's talking about two things. One is, He's saying, there is this... All the Law and the Prophets. And I have come to fulfill all of the requirements of the Law and the Prophets. Through my life, I'm going to live up to perfectly fulfill all of those requirements. The other thing is, is that he came to completely fill up what the Law and the Prophets meant. Which at that time, the Jewish leaders did not, they didn't know that. They weren't operating that way. And, and so he had to explain, you know, like, what's murder? Well, murder is really, I'm going to fill it up. It's not just killing somebody and taking their life. It's hating your brother without reason, without cause. He said, what's adultery? Well, it's not just sleeping with somebody outside of marriage. It's lusting. It's wanting to do it in your head. So he filled all of these requirements up. And he said to us, he said, our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees or we will no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus begins in this, in this first three or five, six, and seven chapters of Matthew, he begins to teach us what the people of the kingdom will be like, and Jesus begins you. You, you, when you think about how his ministry begins, it it actually doesn't begin with salvation, although that's in there. He, he begins by saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and as I begin to teach, the kingdom is now coming. I'm revealing it to you, and this is what the people of the kingdom will be like. In the Old Testament, in 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 books like Isaiah and Zechariah and and David taught these uh, some of these things, and it it came out in the Psalms and other things. There was a description of the king of the future kingdom, and what were some of the characteristics of that future kingdom? Righteousness. Righteousness? That's right. But I'm, I want you to go on even beyond that. Think about what did he describe? How did he describe? Who would be affected? The Through healing and. Yeah, there would be, the, even the animals would be affected. The lion, the, the lion would lie down with the lamb. The bear would eat straw like the ox. People would live to, a, a child that died at a 100 would be considered accursed. All of these things. God was, he, he was, the, the prophets were describing what this future kingdom out here would be like. But then Jesus comes along, and he, so it, it was describing an environment, if you will, of the kingdom. But what Jesus is describing, what really hits home to us, is he is describing what the people of the kingdom will be like. And so he sets before us a an objective, if you will, or a goal, if you will, and this is what the kingdom will be like. This is what the people of the kingdom will be like. And then, in the 13th chapter of Matthew, he does something else. He teaches seven parables in that chapter, and... It describes kind of what the history of the kingdom is like. It's it's the progression that the kingdom will look like if you're standing on the outside looking at it. In the the Sermon on the Mount, the description is is crystal clear. There are no uh, there there's there's nothing hidden in parables or anything like that. It's just straight out four-letter Anglo-Saxon words, clear English. This is the way it is. You get to the end of that seventh chapter and he said, those who hear my words and doeth them and teach others to do... Well, that was more in the fifth chapter. but and, and, and do these, he says, they will be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. But those who hear my words and doeth them not they shall be least in the kingdom of heaven. But then in the 13th chapter of Matthew, things get much more difficult to discern. And I I will have to say, the more I study the 13th chapter of Matthew, the less I understand it. I, I I cannot say that I fully understand all of those parables. He only interpreted two of them. So the rest of them... You know, we have to do the best we can at, at, at trying to discern it. But I'm not going to try it. I'm not going to try to do that. But to say this, it's he describes it as a mixture. There's good and there's evil as the kingdom of God is progressing in the earth. The thing that's always puzzled me is if, you know, in... In the third chapter of the Gospel of John, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he he was talking to Jesus, he came with a question, and Jesus totally ignored his question. Because he could see past, there's no need for me to answer your question, Nicodemus, until you understand this. Unless you are born again, you will never be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he goes on to say, "If you, unless you are born again, you can't even see it. You can't even see it. So let, let's get that out first. And so that's, that's what's true with all of us. We, until, until we are born again, we can't even understand these things. These things just would go right over our heads totally. They would mean nothing to us. But once we are born again, then, then the door opens and we begin to see what a vast amount of stuff there is out there for us to, 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 to get a hold of and, and and incorporate into our lives. If you, if you look carefully at the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters of Matthew... And then you say, okay, this is God's requirements. This is His citizenship principles for the kingdom of heaven. This is where the beauty of the total incorporation of Scripture is so important to us. Jesus laid out these requirements of the kingdom of heaven and and saying... You know, if you hear these words and you do them, then you can enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think what happens in Christendom today is generally speaking, people look at that and they try it and they can't do it. They give up. They, they, and, and they begin to discount so much of what Jesus really wants to do for us. But then Paul comes along and he begins to he begins to to teach. He builds on the things that 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 Jesus taught in his lifetime. And I have to think that he learned it in that period of time that he spent over those years just alone with the Lord somewhere into that third heaven or wherever it was that he learned that he learned these things and he began to uncover them for us. And so I'd like to, I'd like to spend just a little bit more time looking at something. I, it, it's just kind of the way I think about things, I guess, but I like the sequential nature of the way Paul teaches things. It's easier for me to understand, although it's taken a long time for me to even understand this, but there's some thi- there's something I'd like I'd like to share with you that maybe maybe it can be some help to us as we look at what God is doing. I think the Lord is is calling out a people, and I think that's what that's what Jesus had in mind when He came and He taught on the Sermon on the Mount. There was a calling that was going out for a body a company of people who would at some point be able to live up to these requirements yes amen and so you say well what about what about if 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 you read through the gospel you read through the whole bible once you get past johns uh, talking to Nicodemus about what it needs to be saved, it's to me, and, and this is not apostles' doctrine. This is I'm just sharing the way I, the, the way it helps me see things. After that, everything is written to the sons' company, but at the same time, he's saying it to everybody who is going to come along behind that company. Everything He says is for everybody, but at the same time, He's working through companies of people. He is working through the few in order that He can reach the many. And so, He is calling out this body of people. And in the, in the eighth chapter of Romans, it says, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined "...to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, those He also called. Whom He called, these He he also justified. And whom He justified, these He glorified." It's not an elitism that we're talking about. But it is God's way of restoring the creation unto Himself is through these various companies. And every company that reaches a certain level of maturity, it is their responsibility to reach down and pull up those who come behind. But God has to start he has to start with a company that he can work with. And he says, when you're when your judgment is fulfilled, then I'll then I'll work on everybody else. Mm-hmm. So there is a waiting that God is doing for those that he is calling out to, to, to enter in. We talk about entering in, entering into these things by faith in order that we might fulfill the just requirements of the law in reality and I'd like to just finish up this morning with with talking about the laws that are mentioned in the book of Romans. You, have you ever thought how many laws are mentioned in the book of, of Romans? Well first of all what is a law? Well I'm not talking about the law like obeying a governmental law. But it's this, this definition of the law. A statement of an order or relation of phenomena that so far as known is invariable Mm -hmm. under given conditions. What's one of those kinds of laws, natural laws? Gravity. Gravity. (laughs) Boyle's law of gases and all kinds of things. They operate the same way. If the conditions are set right... The conditions are, are, are right for, for that law. It operates the same way every time. And God has spiritual laws. There are spiritual laws that exist that operate the same way all the time. Mm-hmm. Amen. And it's important for us, if we are going to fulfill the calling that God has for us, we have to know that these laws exist and how they operate. Or if we're not careful... We will think we can live within a certain con- law condition, and we can't. <laughs> I not want to go through those with you. First, the law is a principle, and that is Romans chapter 3. If you want to turn to Romans, we're going to go back and forth. We're going to be in Romans 3, we're going to be in Romans 7, and we're going to be in Romans 8. But Romans 3 and 21 says this, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So there's the, the, the law is a principle and we talked about that a while ago. The law and the prophets is everything about God and Christ and their teachings and the teachings of the prophets and Mosaic law and all that lumped into one. That's the law of the law and the prophets. The next law that he speaks of is the law of Moses. And that's in Romans 3, verses 19 and 21. Now we know that whatever the law says, speaking of the law of Moses... It says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed or excuse me, I mean read verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, why did God send the law of Moses? For knowledge. For what? Knowledge. Knowledge of what? Sin. 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 That's exactly right. He sent the law to show us what sin is and to make sin exceedingly sinful in our minds. That was the purpose of the law. He did, He never intended or that, that, that the Israelites could obey the law. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had all these sacrifices as part of it. Because he knew they could not meet it. But he wanted to show them what the law was and how deficient they were in being able to keep it. And the sacrifices were pointing to the one sacrifice... That was going to settle this issue. And so, the next law is called the law of faith. And in Romans, the third chapter, again, and verses 27 and 28. But where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of what? Law of faith. Law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So what did Brother Brian say this morning about Martin Luther? You know, when he began to restore these truths, this was the one he restored first: "The just shall live by faith." Now, there was a justification that occurred by faith, that occurs by faith when we believe in Christ, and for many Christians, that's that's good enough. They are satisfied with that. With that. And they can go to church every Sunday and hear the same sermon about believing in Jesus by faith over and over again. And they are satisfied with that. And I think God has allowed them to be satisfied with that. He is not frustrated because all Christians are not accepting these truths that have been so wonderfully revealed to us. what we do to deserve it? Nothing. 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 <laughs> we just we just were and somebody crossed our path and somebody said something or somebody taught something and it's you know, something happened in your heart and you begin to something begin to stir was that because of how holy we were in order for that? No. It had nothing to do with that. It was God's foreknowledge that that, that caused that to happen. So that's the, the law of faith is what justifies us. It secures our position before Christ. Therefore, therefore there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We have been justified. It's just if we had never done it. It put it we have a position in Christ in heavenly places. We are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Nothing can change that. The law of faith, how wonderful. Praise God for it. God. Now we get into the seventh chapter of Romans and we begin to see where Paul either Whether he went through this personally or whether this was just a way of explaining, I don't know. But I know for me, it's the real thing. (laughs) It's what I've gone through. So I can can testify to it personally. And let's go to Romans 7, verse 23. He's talked about the law of Moses. He's talked about his inability to to keep it. And in verse 23, he says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members." So in this verse, he mentions two different laws, the law of the mind and the law of sin in the members. And he says the law of the sin in the members has greater authority than the law of his mind. Now let me, let me share with you a practical way of kind of, of seeing that. How many of us, when we are inspired, with zeal that we are we have set our minds on the fact that we are going to keep we are going to meet the requirements of Matthew 5 6 and 7 Have you ever done that oh, yeah. Made up your mind I'm going to do this today I'm going to get up this morning and I am going to pick out something I'm not going to hate anybody today or I'm not going to have any lustful thoughts or I'm not going to do such and such or whatever it is and before you get your teeth brushed and your face washed you've already had some impure thought or you've had some uh, thought of a critical of, of another Christian or whatever it may be. So no this is one we have to really be careful of. We do not have the, the the law of sin in our members is greater than the law of our minds. So we have to be careful of that. And so we just already mentioned the law of sin in the members. You know, in the in, in 1 John it says, if we say we have no sin, what? We lie and the truth is not in us. The principle of that is in us even after we are justified by faith positionally, that that law of sin is still there in our members and it operates at the highest natural level. But then there is a law that supersedes Amen. Thank you, the law of sin in our members. And what is that? Law the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Amen. For the law of the spirit of verse 2 8 chapter 8 verse 2 for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God did by sending his son Jesus his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And verse 4 says that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does it mean when it says that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us? What does that say? Do we have even the courage to admit it? It's saying that, that if we walk by the Spirit... If by the Spirit we mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. It's saying that the righteous requirements of the law, as spelled out, for example, in the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters of Matthew, we can fulfill them. (laughs) That's almost too much to think that that could be possible. But it says it right here. It's not. It's not talking about the justification part. It's not talking about just depending on the work of Christ out there uh, to who has fulfilled all the law for us. He's actually saying, "I put my spirit into you. I write your laws on your my laws on your heart, and now." By walking by the Spirit you can fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. There are not there are probably not a lot of people who even want to think about trying to do that. But God is is you know, he's, he is, he is calling out, he is calling out a people, and he will, he, for, for those people, he will not only, he, he will, he will complete the work that he has started. Thank you. He has said that he will do that. I don't, I, I don't know, there are some, yeah I, I don't I don't understand I don't fully understand foreknowledge I don't understand totally understand predestination I don't all underst- I don't completely understand that But but I keep coming back and I think about what Jesus said He said those who hear these words of mine and do them shall be great in the kingdom of heaven And he said he says in the 5th chapter, He says those who who hear My words and teach others to do them, they will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And that said something to me. It's like this company of people that God is working with, if they will keep His words and teach others to do those things, great are they in the kingdom of heaven. It's like He's pointing and saying to us as a... As a at some company, I, I I can't even bring myself to say I know I'm in that company. I want to be in that company. <laughs> My heart is to be in that yeah. company, but will I be faithful? I don't know. I hope so. With the Lord's help, I hope so. But He will have a people yeah. <laughs> yeah. who will who will do that, and they will teach others to do that. They will they will bring others. Along, and 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 the Scripture speaks of the hundred and forty-four thousand as a company of first fruits unto the Lamb, and so if there are first fruits, what's that mean? That's right. There's a harvest coming. But there's a first fruits and God is doing them by these companies. But ultimately, his plan is to have his authority in the earth complete as it is in the heavens. And he will have it. <laughs> he will have it. And and he will have a kingdom. And it says, you know, in Isaiah, it says of the increase of his government, what? There'll be no end. God will be increasing this government forever. <laughs> no end to it. He will be increasing that on and on and on until the 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 ages of the ages. And so, let us not grow weary in well doing. He that be- hath begun a good work in us will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And I just add, if we are, if we are faithful and don't give up, we don't grow weary in well-doing. We don't get discouraged when we stumble. We don't get, we don't give up. But walking in the Spirit, and we could, we could talk for hours on what does it mean to be, to be led by the Spirit or to walk in the Spirit. It's easy to say it and you kind of get a little general concept of it, but what does it really mean? And I think in a nutshell, it just means instead of getting up in the morning and saying, I will do these things, we get up in the morning and we say, Holy Spirit, yes. help me. You, you, I remember Brother Whitter one time at, at Pfeiffer College said, when the enemy knocks at the door, let Jesus go and answer it. <laughs> And that's kind of the way that's kinda of the way I feel it is with the Holy Spirit. You know, you say, Holy Spirit, you check me. You you cause me to wait. This thought comes into my mind. The Spirit says, Don't say that. Just because you thought it doesn't mean it has to be said. You know? And you the more we do that, the more we are learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. It's a process. And it takes a lifetime, but let us not grow weary. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.